My name is Patrick Zorro. Welcome to the Quant and Financial Engineering Podcast. We will have a discussion with Professor Ank Korth. Professor Ank Korth co-directs Lehigh Unique Undergraduate Computer Science and Business Program, which combines both an accredited computer science degree and an accredited business degree into a single four-year degree. He is a co-author of a leading text in database systems, which is called the Database System Concepts, now in its seventh edition. He has a long record of computer science and research focused in database systems, transaction processing, real-time system, and distributed systems. Currently at Lehigh, he leads an active community working on the emerging issues and opportunities of blockchain systems. I want you to discover with me Libra why it is important today and why it could be very important in the future. So I'll be discussing Libra with Ankorth. Uh, Ank, welcome. Pleasure to talk to you, Patrick. I'm happy to be here. This will be a two-part podcast. Uh, first, we will explain a little bit with Ank's help what uh, Libra is. And then in the second part, why it could become important and some of the risk and consequences to have Libra Un unleashed uh, on the system, but in any case, so let's um, let's start with uh, asking uh, a few simple questions uh, about uh, Libra. Essentially, what everyone should know by now is that uh, it came into being as a newsworthy item during the summer of this year. It involves a cryptocurrency. It involves many other entities involved in this um, in, in Libra. Uh, there was quite a bit of discussion uh, with Congress during the summer. Uh, if anyone has the opportunity, you should listen to the to the um, to the recording. And it was quite heated at some point. This is an ongoing event. This is not. Uh, it's not happening now. Um, you know, it hasn't been launched yet. But there's lots of things happening, and we need to keep up with it. And it will become obvious to all, especially for finance people. This is not just about computer technology why you need to understand what Libra is and what Libra will be and what its potential impact is. Let me ask a few questions, pointed and leading questions to, uh, to Ank. First of all, what is Libra? Fundamentally, as you said, Libra is a cryptocurrency, but it has certain distinctive features that makes it different from many others. First of all, it's backed by fiat currencies. That in itself doesn't make it unique. There are a number of other such currencies, probably the best known is Tether, which is tied to the U.S. dollar. JPM coin is as well. What's distinctive about the way it's tied to fiat currency is that it's not tied to a single currency, but to a basket of major currencies, thus separating it from any particular national currency and control of that government. In the 40s, uh, during the Brenton Woods uh, Conference, John Maynard Keynes had proposed the idea of a currency backed by a basket of other currencies, and it was called the Bancor. So this is not totally new, obviously, since uh, uh, after World War II, this was proposed. So you've got a basket of currencies, supporting Libra or? So the concept is that Libra will be 100% backed 
buy this basket of currencies. So if you're holding one coin's worth of Libra, there is a mix of you know yen, euro, dollars, whatever, that is set aside backing that up. Now, another distinctive feature of Libra is who's backing it up. The Libra Association, which is behind this, has at present 28 members, including some very brand name companies. Facebook's in the news a lot for this, but Visa is in there, MasterCard's in there, as well as others. And so this backing of large, reputable companies and financial companies distinguishes it, for example, from Tether. And so that's another key distinguishing feature. And probably the third biggest thing to mention besides these two is the intended use case. This is not just some store of value. The intent of Libra is that it's going to be used for everyday commerce, the same way we use the dollar to buy things today, routine small purchases. And this means that not only will it be capturing transactions that currently go to credit cards, checks, national currencies, but also because of the inherent efficiencies of a blockchain implementation, it's going to be able to bring banking to many of the unbanked in the world. And if you look at the, um, the way that the Lever Association is marketing itself, front and center is the whole idea of Libra for social good. There's other things for us to discuss that might uh, point in the other direction, but the marketing here has a very strong, positive social message. So going back to the nuts and bolts, you mentioned the efficiency of a blockchain transaction. Let's take that one apart a little bit to, to, to show yeah. why this is so strong. Uh, if you uh, look at the current financial system, transactions move in a number of different ways. If we um, start with international transactions, the um, SWIFT system is, um, if anything, not what its name says, SWIFT. It's extremely slow. In fact, um, um, a person from um, a major bank once made the comment that it's faster to send a box of cash by FedEx than it is to send the equivalent money on SWIFT. I haven't tried that myself. <laughs> but um, the point is that there are human processes in there that slow it down. A totally digital process it's moderated by transactions through some cryptocurrency can be a lot faster. Now, moving to more domestic-type transactions, say a credit card transaction, the fees charged by credit card companies, which can be several percent, are a significant cost overhead to a transaction. This can be done much quicker and at much less cost in a well-implemented blockchain system. And the intent for Libra is that it will be that. And the implementation underneath it will look very different from what people talk about with Bitcoin, which works technically from a very different point of view, a very energy-efficient point of view. The, the uh, Libra approach should be low-cost, should be efficient, and highly reliable. Of course, since it's not truly deployed yet, these are all hypotheticals, but it does look very solid. So where where is Libra today? Where is it located or where is it well, housed? Um, the um, prototype is being developed by a um, Facebook subsidiary, Calibra. 
so named for the obvious reason that Libra is part of the name. Um, so there are prototypes out there. There's continued implementation and you know, certainly much to be done on that side before this could really be deployed according to its promises. But it is a, a real thing. When this is actually in operation, of course, the um, ledger of Libra transactions would be maintained in a highly distributed worldwide manner. It would be secured cryptographically. And so to the question of where Libra would be, it would be everywhere. If you're in among the one billion plus people that are unbanked right now, you could use it instead of your local currency. All you need is um, something the equivalent of a relatively low-powered smartphone. And that's not really as much of a stretch as it might seem. In um, many undeveloped or underdeveloped countries, cell phone minutes have become a currency because um, everybody has a cell phone and minutes are valuable. And everybody has a cell phone because in underdeveloped countries, it's cheaper to put up a whole bunch of cell towers than it is to string all the landline cable that we already have as sunk cost in developed countries. Libra is not out, and it is being uh, prepared, but it's also being discussed, correct? There's a lot of hesitation from everywhere, including Congress, in terms of the implementation of, of Libra, what they're doing right now, my understanding is that they're basically seeking approval for it. They are preparing the terrain for it to be released. There's all sorts of legal questions mm -hmm. around deploying something like this. There are issues of taxation, regulation, how it would be um, permitted, whether it would be um, treated as the equivalent of fiat currencies around the world. There's also a question of governance. So the idea of the Libra Association running this, is that a good thing or a bad thing? The association talks about evolving towards an open permissionless system where everybody could participate in the running of the network, but it's very unclear how that evolution would occur. And probably the biggest concern here is not this initial structure that I've talked about here, but how is it going to evolve? What happens when the relative values of the underlying fiat currencies that make up the basket change? Do we rebalance the uh, Libra reserve? Does it just stay the way it is? And probably the only thing we can be sure of about currencies in the future is that there will be change. You know, just you know, looking back in history, the development of the euro the emergence of Japan before that as a major financial power, today the emergence of China. What's the right balance? Who makes those decisions? That's something that is very much open. And what happens if there's a financial crisis? In prior financial crises, the central banks of the major nations get together, make some policies, take some actions, for better or for worse, but there's a, a governing organization there, at least in an informal way. If this is now the companies that happen to be part of the Libra Association managing the whole world's financial system, is that a good thing? Certainly open for discussion, and these are questions that 
need to be resolved before a Libra can actually have the global reach that its founders hope it'll have. Digital versus cryptocurrency. Where are we? I mean, if we're going to, uh, shall I say, parse the English here, digital just means that it's being done with a computer. And from that point of view, you know, our banking system is digital. The whole thing is indeed computerized. The um, cryptocurrency idea has to do with a cryptographic securing of the ledger of transactions, not just simply encrypting it to keep it from hackers, but using cryptographic techniques to ensure that transactions have much deeper guarantees. The idea that once a transaction is in place, it is immutable. Nobody can ever erase it. And if you submit a transaction, that becomes irrefutable. You can never say, no, I didn't do it, because there is a cryptographic proof out there that you actually did do it. And so these properties create a different kind of digital financial structure where there are these publicly visible proofs of properties of the whole information system that then makes it possible to have a public ledger where we can validate things whenever we need to, as opposed to having to rely on a bank that uses its own private access to look at its records and then tell you what's there. And of course, you have to trust the bank to tell you the right thing. Here, I needn't trust anybody in particular. All the records are out there for public audit. So you bring an interesting word, trust. Our current financial system is based on trust. Trust that when you put your money in the bank, that uh, it is safe and you could have it back whenever you want, even though they don't technically keep it in the bank. So there's trust. I guess for cryptocurrency, uh, speaking of Bitcoin, there's no middle person, right? You have you just have two... Uh, well, for a transaction, let's say two participants, you could have a multi-person transaction or a multi-entity transaction, but let's stick to two. That's not the same thing with Libra. There's someone in the middle. Well, in a sense, but not in the same sense as something going through a bank where the bank has absolute control. The um, Because there's an association and all of these members participate in the maintenance of the ledger. We're not trusting a single organization, but a consortium to manage it. And as this grows and becomes you know, much bigger than what it is now, we could imagine a situation where there are so many entities managing the ledger that we can be very confident that no set of conspirators could do something evil. As a result, there's really no individual trust then, but rather trust in the crowd. And that's what makes Bitcoin work. The way Bitcoin is set up, nobody's in charge of it, nobody runs it. It just operates on its own with um, nodes around the world and many of them all collaborating to make it happen. So trust is really a continuum. You can have something that is basically trustless, like Bitcoin. You can have something that is centrally administered, like many of our current financial institutions. 
and with different blockchain consensus mechanisms have different methods of governance that can basically turn a trust knob from totally trustful to totally trustless. And in terms of the discussions we need to have about Libra or anything like Libra is where we want our financial system to be in this space. And if there is some trust, who is it that is trusted? So you mentioned financial system. So if you're a finance graduate student, why do you need to understand what's going on here with blockchain and Libra? I mean, one can obviously say, oh, this is just um, you know, fun games by computer scientists. And uh, being a computer scientist, yes, there is an awful lot of really fun computer science there. But beyond all the cryptography, all the mathematics, all the system building, what's happening here is that the tools are being created to structure our financial system in a way that is radically different from what it is now, both in terms of the underlying technical infrastructure, but also in terms of the kinds of things that this system will be capable of doing. And that latter part ties right into what finance grad students or any expert in finance really needs to master. There needs to be an understanding of what the policy issues are, the governance issues, the regulatory issues, and how we want to guide the use of this technology for maximum societal benefit. That also means that there's going to be a fair amount of auspicious activities around Libra to make sure, A, it is not going to disturb the financial system, and B, that it is being properly audited. Because we need to focus on, uh, I mean, at least not us, but the, uh, the authorities need to focus on both making sure that uh, it is not going to disturb the financial system by its implementation, but at the same time, it is secured enough not to allow for you know, everything that you hear in the news in terms of uh, how it's being used and uh, it needs to be audited, essentially. Well, I mean, there are a whole bunch of issues in this general space in terms of auditing. I mean, if you look at Bitcoin, where there's a high degree of anonymity, you get the possibility of having illicit transactions, funding of terrorists, etc. Now, those things can be controlled because the anonymity in Bitcoin is absolutely far from absolute, and there are ways of be, trying to de-anonymize the um, players in Bitcoin based on the way they access the network, where they submit transactions, and so forth. Um, on the other hand, uh, there's uh, the question of who controls this from the point of view of assigning responsibility for taxation and so forth. If I'm using Libra, do I have to register with somebody? Do know your customer rules apply? And if they do, under whose jurisdiction? For an infrastructure that is within a nation or a bank that's housed within a nation, it's very clear who's in charge. But for something that is worldwide, who makes those decisions? And how does that governance evolve as the whole world evolves? So there are many open issues here, and I think that if you listen to the um, 
congressional testimony, um, Jerome Powell talked about the issues of systemic risk here. And not that they're all negative, but there are clear implications in how this kind of infrastructure can affect the ability of our financial system to absorb shocks, react to shocks, and in how the evolution of the financial environment can be um, controlled or indeed allowed to operate in an extremely free, you know, free market style type of operation. So it's going to be faster, it's going to be more efficient, it's going to be cheaper than we would currently have. And if it's properly maintained and supervised, then it's good. Well, maybe. And that's what many governments are asking. Um, if you look, at France and Germany have indicated that they're going to ban Libra in their countries if it comes um, into existence. And, of course, if they do, that basically takes it out of the whole Eurozone, just given the power of those two economies. And what they're worried about there is their government's control of the financial system. Basically, you know, their message is that um, this consortium of companies, the Libra Association, is not the right group to control the world's finance. So it's actually making waves. It is something that has a potential of being disruptive enough for it to be preventing, prevented to have any action in Europe, which is pretty big on its own. Libra is is not alone. My understanding is China now is also developing its own. Yes, they are. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the details of what they're doing. But um, sort of the best information out there at this point, the Chinese government is developing its own cryptocurrency and working with the major Chinese tech companies, Baidu, which uh, you might say is the Google of China, um, Alibaba, kind of the, the Amazon of China, and WeChat, let's call it, I'll call it the Facebook of China. And so then the Chinese government would, if this all would come into play, have a cryptocurrency backed by China's currency. And we now have a situation then, if this were to take off, where we have a very strong rival to the U.S. dollar as the worldwide means of commerce. And so that could affect international power structures in a whole bunch of ways. But popping it up a level from just China, you know, and talking about Libra here, we see an issue between nation-state-based cryptocurrencies and a non-nation-state private global cryptocurrency. Those are very two different visions of how you build currencies for the world. And, you know, I mean, previously, you know, the only fiat currencies that have had any significance have been those that come from some nation. Private currencies have been more toys for um, you know, smaller corporate strategies, um, something um, to um, make light of it, perhaps, something like a Disney dollar that you buy in a Disney theme park. You could also look at frequent flyer miles as a kind of currency run by an airline. But we've never had any private currency of the kind of magnitude that we're seeing with proposals like Libra. What 
do you think is the strategy here? Is it we're doing it for the public good? Meaning let's bank the unbanked and uh, help them access the financial system? Or is there something else? Well, you know, if I'm trying to sell Libra to you, I definitely talk about the phenomenal potential here for social good. But there is another story. There's a lot of money to be made from this. And so if we dig into how Libra works, first of all, there's the reserve. So if there's lots of Libra out in the world, that means that there is a huge stash of major fiat currencies sitting somewhere. Now, wherever that somewhere is, it has to be secure, has to be safe, but it can be in some interest-bearing medium that yields a, clearly a modest interest rate because it has to be very safe, but there's going to be interest earned in the reserve. That's a profit for the Libra Association. And if you do a quick back-of-the-envelope calculation of how much Libra deposit you'd have from everybody in the world holding Libra, that's a pretty large amount of money coming in and coming in continuously forever. And a phenomenal return on the initial investment of these 28 member companies. So there's some good money there. Another place where there's um, money to be made here, of course, in tr transaction fees. Well, they needn't be high. They also needn't be zero. So there's another avenue for profit. Finally, the, the companies involved, in many cases, can stand to profit from having a means of exchange like this. Just as an example, imagine that um, Libra's out there, and Facebook is set up now that when your friend posts about having bought some product, you can just click and buy it yourself with Libra. What we now have is a situation where Facebook has made itself a kind of Amazon, but instead of a catalog of products you shop and browse and buy, it's a crowdsourced Amazon. I see what my friends are doing and I buy stuff. That sounds like a potential business concept. And now if these things happen, there's now this huge reason to advertise on Facebook. Because if I put my ads on Facebook, and you can immediately buy what I'm advertising with Libra. That's a wonderful way to advertise. Therefore, advertising rates on Facebook go up, and there's more profit. So there's actually a whole bunch of business strategies here that, from a business point of view, are totally unexplored. But you know, that's the other side of it. So there's, there's definite social good, definite good things that can, can happen out of something like this. But... Should certain companies own all of that and own all of that profit potential? Should that be regulated and taxed? Should it be run by the government? Should it somehow all be free and just a, a low-cost, totally free world economy? There are many visions here that depend um, to some degree on your, your political and uh, sort of worldview. We're now in uh, 20 years later. Libra has fully taken hold and I'm a finance graduate, am I still going to work for a bank? Is there still going to be investment banks? Is the financial system still going to be the same? Well, you're asking me to project what decisions are going to be made in the near term and how they're going to play out. And uh, 
And uh, somewhat humorously, you're asking a computer scientist about this, but I'll answer anyway. Okay. And um, my expectation is that the way this plays out is that there is still governmental governance of the financial system and that there is a major role for major financial firms of many kinds, banks, investment banks, um, et cetera. And it'll be a very different world. The way these entities will operate will be very different, but they will still be there. They will still be trying to maintain a smoothly functioning system, deal with shocks to the system that come from politics, from national disasters, wars, what have you. And so the kinds of needs we have today in terms of finance students, finance experts, will still be there. They'll just be very modernized, very changed, but fundamentally some of the same issues. That is a very nice view of the future. Of course, there's one where, one, uh, they, uh, the authorities and the Federal Reserve try to block as much as possible what's going on right now, and therefore they can't get it done, and uh, we lose to uh, other countries, such as China, which is going forward with that, um, with that effort on their own. Or, because let's go back a little bit around 2008, 2009, um, we should note that Bitcoin came into being right after the uh, last um, financial crisis. Now, if there's another crisis, how will, how will that... Will that precipitate, um, you know, the, the quote-unquote digital or cryptocurrency to being more and more important than it is currently? All that's hard to tell. It depends on the crisis. So let's go back, first of all, to um, 2008. Bitcoin did happen there, but Bitcoin had no role in the crisis nor the recovery from that crisis. Rather, the fact of that crisis strengthened the... Um, libertarian political views of many people, including the people that are likely to have been behind the creation of Bitcoin. Now, in a future crisis, what's going to happen there? Um, all hard to say. Um, and it really depends, I think, in a large degree as to how all of this plays out. You know, we could see a future that's controlled by a private consortium, we could see a future controlled by a consortium of national central banks like we have now, just with a very different underlying mechanism. We could also start to see a highly competitive world of global cryptocurrencies backed by the various fiat currencies of the world, a situation where we have a very intense competition between maybe the EU, Japan, China, the U.S., and whoever else. Um, and how those things play out, I would say, is going to be largely much more in the um, political world than in the technical world. And, uh, you know, very hard to predict, but probably showing many of the same dynamics we've seen in the past. There are, say, things about history that, you know, history um, doesn't repeat, but it definitely rhymes. And I think that's probably the best answer here. What a way to finish uh, this podcast. 
it's it's not finished in the sense that there's going to be more news coming up on Libra and how they're doing with the acceptance, with the approval. Uh, it's actually based in uh, in Switzerland, right? The, uh, the, the base. Yes, it yeah, is. Exactly. So uh, I heard that they had a meeting a week or two ago. Let's conclude and let's revisit the Libra uh, when uh, we hear more and have more news and um, try to predict the future again at that point. Okay, thank you very much, Patrick.